you have heard some of this terminology thrown around today. I just, I hope you've got a clear picture about who Generations Church is and who we are. You've heard the term family thrown around. You've heard the term uh, mentioned a couple times because of Jesus. You've heard even the, the term generations. And so as you connect with us, as you exist in this space this morning, as you gather with us, that is who we are. We are everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family because of Jesus for generations to come. And we want you to be a part of that family. And I know family, as we've tossed that term around, has a lot of baggage for some of you. you and you don't carry that baggage lightly. It's something that weighs on you, maybe because of fractured relationship, because of distance. And for some of you, maybe you're like, no, my, my family's great. Like, there's no baggage there at all. But I know for many of us, family can be a very difficult and messy thing. And that's why when we gather together each and every week, it's a beautiful thing. Because there are people from different backgrounds, different stories, different ethnicities, from different parts of the country who come together because of one Jesus, because of Jesus, for one reason, and that's because of Jesus, to form a new family under him. And we're going to get into that a little bit today, and, and that passage that Charity read for us gives us a little bit of picture of how we're going. And she did say, hey, we're in Colossians chapter 1, we're in this known series, and I'm going to give you a previously on for some of you to catch you up to speed if you've missed a, a week or two, kind of, you know, at the, at the beginning of those uh, TV shows where they're like, previously on, and then you get all caught up. Now, if you've binge-watched, you're like, no, I'm all caught up. Like, give me to the next one. Skip, skip that. But you can't skip this. Sorry, that, that, that intro. I'm going to give you a little bit of a pre, previously on. Um, but, she, yeah, she, she said, hey, we're, we're in Colossians chapter 1, but then she read out of Colossians chapter 2. So you're like, okay, what's up with that? So here, here's the deal. Before our Bible had chapters and verses, uh, there was these books that were composed were just all kind of one writing. They weren't divided up. Later on, there was going back to help people be able to navigate and find their way in the scriptures and in the Bibles. We added chapters and verses. So really, what we're doing is, though we're looking at Colossians 2, 1 through 5, what we're looking at is this continuation of thought that this guy wrote, this Apostle Paul wrote to this Colossian church. And so he pastorally kind of capstones what he has been trying to say to them. So here's what he's been trying to say to them. This is the previously on piece. He said things like, you have been reconciled. Christ is the creator. You have been faithful. Good job. I've suffered for you. And he's woven all of these statements together to this church to encourage them. Now, the reason he's writing this letter to this church is this is a new church that this guy did not start or plant. So we, as a new church plant, only been in existence for several months, thought that this would be a great way to start off our church community's teaching is say, okay, if this guy were to write a letter to our church, what would he want us to? to know because he's writing this to a church that he did not start. So we're kind of using it in that way to say, okay, what do we need to know as we start Generations Church? And so he's challenged some things, and it's really been like a, he, he's really primed the pump for what he's going to say in the rest of 
the letter. And this one's author says it this way, this letter is a vaccination against heresy, not an antibiotic for those already afflicted. And so here's, here's the point. As he's writing this, because he wants them to be on guard, he wants them to be prepared for when the attacks come, for one, things that sound right but are actually wrong, so that they can identify those lies and be prepared to hold their ground and continue the faithful display of Jesus that they've already communicated in this world. So some of the themes that we've talked about, we live in a world with faulty maps, and these maps don't just guide us, they shape us. And God sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus is a map that shows us what God is like and what humanity looks like in proper relation to God. And so in the midst of this world, we are called to embody the mystery of Jesus made known. And we must begin following the map and inviting others to journey with us. So Jesus is both our destination and the map that we follow. And Paul is sent into this world to communicate this message. And he talks to people who have moved from, uh, from darkness to light, from outside the family to inside the family, and says, what does it look like? And here's what it looks like, and here's how you continue to do that. Well, in your community, in your city. And so as we look at these verses today, Paul's talked about this struggle that he's had. Remember, he is in prison. And so if that's news to you this morning, what we learn from the Apostle Paul is that this message that he is going about in the world is costly. And he struggles for them, both pastorally and physically. But then he kind of makes this caveat in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, for those of you who are in Laodicea, and you may be wondering, okay, wait, I thought he was writing to the church in Colossae. What you got to remember, what you got to know about this is sometimes these letters, when Paul would write to a church and to a city, he's writing to several groups of people in a singular city, and oftentimes these letters that he would write would get circulated. So he knows that this other city in the region is going to hear about this letter and, and, be, and get this same information. And so he's worried about this church in Laodicea, and he's saying that they haven't seen him in person. And he wants them to be encouraged just as he's encouraged by the church in Colossae. Now, for some of you who have some Bible background, that like city, Laodicea, is familiar. For some of you, you're like, okay, that's just a really random name, and I have no clue what that is. Here's, go to the very last book of the Bible sometime this week and read Revelation chapter 3. So now some of you, I said Revelation, and you've heard about that book, and it's scary, and you're like, I'm going to stay away. I'm not asking you to read the whole thing. Just take some time this week, put this note down on your teaching, and go back and read Revelation chapter 3. And what you're going to see is this letter, this other apostle writes these letters to these churches. One of the churches that he writes to is this area, this city, Laodicea. And what they are known for is being lukewarm. Now, let's compare and contrast for a moment. Paul has already said that this church in Colossae has been faithful. They've spread the good news well. But he's worried about this other city. And we learn that sometime later, likely the city which was once on the same path that the Colossae church was on the path of, has now resulted to an apathy, to a lukewarmness. And we don't know exactly 
what's happened. But something has happened with that church. But Paul wants to contend for their faithfulness. And he says four things specifically that as he is struggling for them, for those who haven't seen him in person, he says in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I want their hearts to be encouraged, to be joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have a knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. And so we see four parts to that. We see there's an encouragement to the church. There's a being united in love. There's being strengthened in knowledge and understanding and that they may know. And so what Paul, to cap off this series known, this is our last week in this, is he wants to pastorally help them be crystal clear about what it looks like to be involved with people to make that known. And his job for the church is to do this, to capstone this goal. And so he wants them to be encouraged. And this is more than just a, like, attaboy, or good job, keep going. It's the sense of putting strength or courage into them. Because the rest of his letter, he's going to specifically articulate, encounter some false teachings that exist in their region. But he knows that first, in order to be prepared to withstand that opposition, they have to be strengthened. They have to have a resolve. And it's reiterated later in verse 5, this this strength that he wants this church to have. It's an ability to stand or have courage within so that they don't shrink back as the pressures of this world encircle them and try to trick them and maybe even try to deceive them, as Paul says. And so Paul uses this word heart and basically says at the core of their being, they have to have this resolve because he knows externally they're going to get worn down. Experientially, we all know this too, that as you just go through life, as you live, whether it's where you go to work, whether the hobbies you do, whether the relationships you have, we just sometimes just get worn down. But Paul wants this church to have this inner resolve that says, even though physically I may be tired, mentally I may be tired. Physically I may be oppressed and afflicted. Innerly I have this resolve that will not give way because I am continually getting to know the person of Jesus. And we need this because we need each other. See, we can't have this inner resolve alone. It has to be in community. Charles said a couple times this morning, he's like, you are not forgotten. And we say that here very often because it pictures back to Psalm 22, where the name generations comes from. Where that first verse says, my God, my God, why have you forgotten me? And we say, no, God has not forgotten you. But sometimes we forget that. And sometimes we feel alone. And that's where it's being united as one is so powerful Because we know while physically we get tired, mentally we have people who have our back as we apply the teachings of Jesus to every aspect of our life. And that's why he goes on. He says, I want you to be united in love. He wants us to be together, to be united, to be strengthened as one. 
And this united in love is, describes a rugged commitment to one another. And let me say, just kind of separate this out a little bit. It's not just a, man, I can tolerate this person. Like, I can exist being in the same room with them. It's, it's not a, it's, yeah, it, it's not a like, yeah, I think I'd like to get to know them, but eh, maybe not, you know. I'll go to church with them. I'll see them once a week. And, it, and, it's, and it's really, it's like the, the idea of proximity without relationship. And here's the thing is we want to tie those two together, the both proximity and the relationship specifically. And you can do that, and we can do that well when we are rooted in Jesus. And so, Again, I said I'd parse that out a little bit, which basically means I'm going to separate it out. So it looks like this in three areas. Presence, advocacy, and a development towards Christ-likeness. Which means when you are proximate with people and you build a relationship, it means you're willing to be physically present with them. You know, you've all been there when it's like you're, you're sitting next to someone and someone's talking to you and your mind's elsewhere. To be united in love means you're going to be physically present with them, engaged with them, connected with them. But not only that, you're going to advocate for them. Which means when they're not around, you're going to speak good of them. You're going to work for their good when they're not around. And that's so powerful. Because what happens is as we go into the different aspects of our lives, we we all have different jobs in different locations. And what's going to happen is as, as just... Again, the wearing down of life, the temptation is going to be, I mean, that person frustrated me a little bit. That person got under my skin. And we're going to self-talk our way into maybe even another conversation where we say negative things about the person. But to be united in love means when, even where they're not in the same room, we advocate for them. We work for their good. We speak well of them. And that's messy. That's difficult. It's hard, but it's worth it because our world is starving for a community of people to fill them up, to feed them something of substance that is different, that is lasting because we know there's enough negativity. You you, you go into your workplace, you already know there's a ton of backbiting and talking behind people's back. You know when you go into the the gym or even in some conversations, you know, people may point out something about someone's appearance or their background or the, oh, you know, they're just that way. And we just kind of wipe it and excuse it. But to advocate for them is to not just simply excuse, but to speak well of. And to say, I may even do something for them that they may never know and you may never even talk about. But you're going to work for they're good. And ultimately, what that leads to is when you're present and you're advocating for one another, it means you're going to talk about Jesus. And you're going to say, I want to help you become more like Christ. So again, this love is not about tolerating someone else, but a commitment to one another as a team. And you, you've seen some of this in some of the sports stories that are talked about there. When teams win championships, and they go back and say, man, it was in the summer, it was in the off-season, or even if it's not a sports team. Musicians, when you go, man, all the rehearsals, the, the late evenings, the early mornings, the practicing, the repetition, and you go on and on and on, and then they, they accomplish something. And they go, man, it was worth it, but remember back when. And so what the beautiful thing is of what Paul is helping this church 
realize that they can't stay on opposite sides of the room. They have to put their faith into practice and work together to be united in love of advocating for one another, of being present to one another. And what will happen is the mystery of Christ will be made known in our community. See, when generations does that, people will go, there's something different about this place. There's something different about this group of people. And some of you, I say those words and you're like, yeah, I said those words to someone. I, I've said that. That's why I'm here. That's why, exi- that's why you exist in this space. And what Paul's pastoral concern in this moment is not that they haven't done this before, but they will remember and remind themselves that they have to keep doing this. They have to keep moving forward. That they have to be knit together in love. That they have to be committed to one another beyond just a Sunday morning and beyond just the first five months of a church plant. And he wants them to have this full riches and complete understanding. He wants them to be full and certain of this knowledge of which they are laboring, and which he is really laboring for. And riches, what he talks about this in a moment, can refer to the gospel response and generosity to others. When I talk about presence, when I talk about uh, advocacy, when I talk about helping one another move towards Christ-likeness, it's, it's a generous spirit. It lives out one of our values around here that we call give over get. And actually in the next uh, several weeks, that's the next series we're going to look at, we're going to unpack that value, give over get, what it looks like to live generously in every aspect of our lives. And now you've noticed as I've talked about living generously, I mentioned advocacy and presence. I didn't mention anything about money. See, generosity is a disposition of the soul. That means that what, what we have and with who we are, we are going to be able to extend that to others. And so we're going to look at that over the next several weeks. We're going to step out of Colossians because the mystery of God is being made known, which means it's expanding the family. And so this family that Paul is writing to is people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, coming together as Jews and Gentiles as one that is, has a bond through the Spirit. And so again, it's not just simply a rah, rah, let's go do this moment. But it's a steady and repetitive commitment that reduces the relational distance that sin emotional vandalism, and just the patterns of life can sometimes cause. Which means, if we just exist in a holding pattern, there will be some relational distance that's created. You, you experience this sometimes. So if you don't come regularly on a Sunday, sometimes you feel that. You're, you wonder, can I come back? I've missed a few weeks. Or I've, I've not been to my group, and it's like, I wonder, can I step back in that space and still be welcome? Will they notice that I've been gone? And the thing is, Yeah, we've noticed and we've missed you. And we want you to come back. But what will happen is if we're not intentionally advocating and being present in the lives of others, we will wonder, has God forgotten us? And so we have to continue to press on just as Paul does. He he goes back and he says, I want to know how great the struggle is that I have for you. We want to struggle. We want to persevere for each other. 
because of Jesus. That's a phrase that's come over and over again in this first series. The mystery of Christ made known. Doing everything we do because of Jesus. That the hidden plane of God has always been to expand his family to all. And it's been made manifest in Jesus. And if there's a verse or a chapter of the Bible that I'd encourage you to go look about, what this, this treasure looks like in your life, what it looks like to truly treasure this knowledge and this mystery, let me give you again a verse or passage of the Bible for you to read this week. Go to Isaiah 33, verse 5 and 6. And just read it. And it'll say in there, the treasure of the mystery has been made known. And I just want you to meditate on that. And allow your mind to be shaped by that. There's a lot of things that you could do to prepare for your day. Maybe it's you listen to pump-up music as soon as you, you step out of bed. Or uh, you've got that playlist that you go to. Or you've got that radio station. Or you've got that morning routine. One of the things that I've, I've been talking with Caleb about is that morning routine. What helps you get your mind right? Well, I would encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 33, specifically verses 5 and 6 this week as we've capstone this series, to help you get your mind right so that you can live well. And so with that said, with that, here, here's, here's what that looks like. It looks like I'm trying to think of how I want to say this. I got it written down one way, but I almost want to say it something different. Let me get Yesterday, off script here for a moment, so bear with me. Yesterday, I officiated a celebration of life in this facility for one of the workers who, who, who passed away from the American Legion here. And I had the opportunity to facilitate this celebration of life. And it was really great for me, and it was really weird at the same time because it was like, great, I can serve the American Legion and help them out. But at the same time, I didn't know this lady at all who passed. I didn't know her, and I had an opportunity to stand up and share and allow others to stand up and share, and just kind of one of the duties that comes with pastoral ministry. But what the greatest blessing was after the ceremony, when I stepped over to the side and I was sitting there and I was talking to uh, Sandy, who's the cook who sometimes comes in here on Sunday morning, and Gary, the post commander, who allows us to basically rent this space or rent, have it for free because we've invested in him. You know what was so cool is as people came up and said, hey, Kyle, whether it's great job or I really like how you said this, Sandy and Gary, both who don't ex- come here on a consistent basis, said that this is a church worth being a part of. Because even though we don't come on every Sunday or we're not always consistently, there are people of love and a people of grace, a people of friendship, a people who back up exactly what they say there are. And some of you in this room, you're like, Kyle, you just set a really high bar. We have to live up to that. And I'm saying we don't have to live up to that. We get to live up to that. We get to be a church and a community that says you are not forgotten. You are loved. And the mystery of may known, which means we don't have all the answers to life, but we are pursuing Jesus. And would you consider pursuing Jesus with us? And what happens is people take notice. They watch. You know, I, I know there's not necessarily audio in here. But Charles told me this morning, one of the friends that he's been inviting 
to come here consistently. His grandpa actually runs the security system for this place. And he says, you know, I've been watching you each and every Sunday morning, how you set up. And then some of you are like, oh my goodness, people can see us. And it's like, yes, we're, we're on security. But like, but, but he's been watching us. And he said, man, you, you guys are talking, you're laughing, you're, you're interacting with one another. And the vision and the picture of it is, we don't want that to just stop on Sunday. That's got to carry throughout the week. So that more and more people know that God has not forgotten them. That they're invited to be a part of the family. And when we do this and do this well, generations to come will know the name of the Lord and what he has done. And what he has done is that he sent Jesus to live on this earth, to be our righteousness, to to show us how to live. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin and then was raised back to life. And he is going to come back one day and make all things new. And that is the hope that we cling to. And what's going to happen is as we live in this world, is there going to be arguments that say nuanced things that counter that. That say whether that's not real or yeah, that's, that's kind of true, but what about this? And they're going to sound reasonable. They're going to sound almost right. And if we are not a church that comes back time and time and again and says, how are we filtering these teachings, the world in which we live in, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we will be easily misled. And when we jump back into Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at some very popular teachings, both of our society today, and some teachings that we're trying to lead this church community in Colossians astray. That they sound right, They sound good. They may even make us feel good. But ultimately, they're not rooted in Jesus. They're not rooted in the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and his ascension, which are just real big fancy words to say that life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul is rejoicing because of what he has seen in this Colossian church thus far. If I may assume for kind of that pastoral motif for a moment here in this room. And it's been so cool to watch God work. It has been so cool to watch what God has done right here in our church community. I mean, I, just to see what type of culture has been translated. Amanda didn't know this, but I was, I was going to say this. is When I sat down and, and met with her, one of the things that she noticed about when we gather is our greeting time. And I remember that conversation we sat down in that coffee shop and she said, you know what? I'm going to be a part of generations and we're going to have this greeting time. I got to get up and I got to get out of my comfort system. I got to go say hi to someone new I have not met. And it's been cool because since knowing that, I haven't shared that before until until this moment. But being able to share that when I asked her again if, if I could share that, I've watched her and she's done that. And she's been excited to do it. And she's trying to hold a smile back right now. But, but, like, but that, that, that's who we want to be. That's what we're trying to do. And so what I want to say is commend our church. Good job. The work is far from done. And just like Paul, I can't physically be with you always. And here's the beauty. You don't need me to be physically present with you always where you live, work, and play. Because I hear the conversation on your lips even when we gather. Saying things like, I make this decision because of Jesus. Or I make this decision because of our value, give over, get. 
Or even if it's joking through a text about working on a floor and it says progress over perfection. You know, like, when those values and that vision trickles out to our church community and ultimately to the spaces in which we live in, people are going to start to see Jesus. There's going to be a mystery, and they're not going to know how to put their finger quite on it. But you'll be able to give some words and some phrases to the expression of your followership of Jesus. And if we don't continue to engage with our vision and our values and centered around Jesus, then we may just drift into lukewarmness like the Laodiceans. So here's how we're going to combat that this week. Here's, here's, here's kind of the challenge or the so what or now what. If we've done a good job, if we've seen God do some work, what does it look like going forward? I want you to message or call someone in our church this week. You personally call or message someone, whether it's a Facebook message, a text message, or a call. I just want you to reach out to them and ask them how they're doing. Maybe you've not seen them for a while. Maybe it's someone you haven't seen in a while. Reach out to them. Maybe it's someone you've seen this morning and you started a conversation and you didn't get as far as you would like. Reach out to them. Give them a call. Send them a text. Continue that conversation. And here's, let me take away all the excuses. If you don't know their name, but you're like, ah, I think I want to talk to that person. If you're like, uh, if you don't have a number or even a full name, you're like, talk to John or I. Like, and we'll make sure you, you have that. Even if it's got to be like, okay, so they're, they're, they're brown hair. They wore a green shirt on Sunday. I can't remember their name. I think I want to talk. Taking away all excuses. I want you to get to know someone else in our church community this week through call or through text. Because when we're reminded that we're not alone, that we have people who are here for us, who can bear with one another, who are learning to follow Jesus well, we're going to see more people be a part of the family. And maybe that leads you to take a meal with each other. Maybe that leads to a cup of coffee. But I want you to take the initiative. I don't want you to see who reaches out to you and wait and be like, sweet, I talked to someone because they reach out to me. Don't wait. Don't wait. Take the initiative. There's a saying that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. God has placed Generations Church in Salmon Creek for such a time as this. For now. And whether you're a believer here in this room or you're someone who's connecting with us for the first time, God has brought you here in this space and this time now. You are not alone. You are loved. And we want to get to know you and your story. There are people here in this room who want to know you. You are loved. You're not forgotten. And the reason why we do this is because of Jesus. Father, I, I pray that those in this room, that as we've looked at knowledge and understanding and the riches that you have for us, and we see Paul's just pastoral heart for this church. Father, I just pray that you hear my pastoral heart for this church, God, that our church be rooted in you and who you are. Father, I pray that we respond to the good news of Jesus.
guide us this week. Give us the name or the face of the person that you want us to reach out to. Make it crystal clear. God, would you give us the courage to not shrink back, to not be fearful of what that conversation might look like, to not be afraid of the unknown. Holy Spirit, we need you to give us courage so that we can live out the way of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray.